0: Hello, this is Larry Dobrow, the senior editor of mm Welcome to the MM&M podcast. Uh, this week, we have somebody that we've been chasing for about three months as a guest through many emails, through many trips to New York and uh, everything else. Um, it's Nate Gross, who's the co-founder of Doximity and Rock Health. He's an MBA. Um, he's an MD. He's probably the smartest person we've had anywhere near this office. So We'll get to Nate in one second. Um, Our usual plugs. We have the MM MM&M Awards coming up next Thursday, October 10th at Cipriani Wall Street. Tickets are still available. Reach out via our website. And we are going to be starting our first 40 Under 40 program. Um, Information on that will be available through our social media channels. And be sure to check that out as well. All right. Nate, thank you so much for being here. And thank you for putting up with us through all the back and forth as we were trying to get on your calendar.
1: Thank you for having me on the show, and I, I know we can't see it through the microphone, but I'm, I'm blushing uh, about the kind words, and I'm sorry to keep you waiting.
0: No, no, nah, really nah, nah. I mean the wait—the waiting was exclusively me. <laughs> so, uh, thank you for your patience with us. Uh, so, let's let's start in the most you know ridiculously basic place we can. Um, tell us a little bit about your professional history. Kind of walk us through the uh, steps that led you to Doximity, Rock Health, and everywhere else. Absolutely. So. I think a good place to
1: start would probably be back in medical school. I was very fortunate to be able to go to medical school at Emory University, which was affiliated uh, with Grady Memorial Hospital, a large public hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. And it was a wonderful time to be training because I got to witness things like the launch of the Facebook newsfeed, the launch of the iPhone, the transition from paper charts to electronic medical records. Uh, I'm a, a very, very mediocre programmer. I'm actually banned from our production servers at Doximity. <laughs> um, however, I was, at least at the time, able to work on a few different apps really to solve just problems I encountered in in my own life. And then I went on to business school um, and I was at Harvard for business school and I organized a conference there where I ran the uh, healthcare panel of the technology conference. Mm-hmm. Turns out the other person who volunteered to organize that with me was Hallie Teco, who eventually oh. became my co founder of, of Rock Health. And I didn't really know who to invite to, to be in this section of the conference. But I used an app called Hippocrates every day when I was in the hospital, uh, it was a, a very popular drug reference tool. And I said, well, I'll, I'll invite the, the founder of uh, Hippocrates out. You know, he solves a problem in my life every single day, which is looking up therapeutic dosing. And he was nice enough to attend. Uh, we went out to uh, a restaurant the night before and talked through a number of ideas that we had. And it turned out the timing was working out great. He had just filed a S1 for Hippocrates. And a few months later, um, he ended up looking for his next thing. Uh, we teamed up with a, a great third co-founder called Sherry Buck, and um, the three of us ended up launching Doximity. And uh, we had an incredible founding team, and we've been working on it for,
0: oh, gosh, nine years now since launch. Um, it You know... In my mind, Doximity has been around and it's been such a trusted resource for as long as it has. And yet, you know, you say it's only nine years. The the timing of this, the health tech revolution, um, right now in health, can you be a health player without also having a technology play that's kind of simultaneous? That's a really interesting question. I,
1: I, I think the way that I, I usually hear it phrased is, you know, can you be a, a Fortune 500 company without caring about healthcare, mm. and you know the largest employers in this, this country consider healthcare to be one of their most pressing pressing issues. Um, and I think the same thing is true if you are a technology company. We at least see it evidenced by uh, both a, a large number of of the big tech players all exploring healthcare with greater and greater degrees of both success, I think, and investment. Um, I certainly think if you're a, a small company starting off in the say enterprise space, you need to focus and outside of your own team, not not focus on healthcare per se or outside markets. But uh, if if you're a company that touches the lives of you know at, at least a million people, it's most likely that healthcare is factoring into your
0: strategy in at least some way. Um, the early days of Doximity was there was there kind of a moment. I mean, I think the idea took off pretty quickly, as I recall, having covered it. Um, Was there a moment that was sort of like an aha, like, all right, we're on the right path, like one kind of crystallizing moment that you were on the right path, that you were creating something that was going to, you know, not only be incredibly useful, but have scale pretty quickly? There were
1: a lot of moments that were, wow, we we didn't screw that up. We're still here. (laughs) We're still alive. Uh, If I were to trace one common theme among all that, it would be our focus on workflow. We're not the first physician network by a long shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and to some degree, I think, uh, other attempts have been um, shaped very much by the, the time and history in which they had launched and what resources were available. Uh, we like to think that we are the fastest software ever adopted by physicians in history. I wish we could say the fastest product, but actually the fastest product ever adopted by physicians is the iPhone um, at about 85% penetration among US doctors. Doximity is at a little over 70. Um, so when I look at how we got to that, that 70% back when I thought you know, maybe only 50% was the highest we ever could have gotten, I think the, the fact that we were able to take advantage of our time and space um, where physicians were adopting a portable, cellular-connected, internet-enabled device in mass. And allowed them to turn that not just into, you know, a water cooler discussion, but really into helping them get their job done as a doctor every single day. That's what moved the needle for us and led to the biggest spikes in adoption. And so one example of that where that really was an aha moment was uh, the concept of the fax machine. Really, my mortal enemy back when I was in the hospital. And the fax machine. It's it's always out of ink. It's always at the far end of the hospital. Papers jammed, something's Exactly. Wrong. Yeah. It's grandfathered into this HIPAA compliant state, but there's nothing HIPAA compliant about rifling through a stack of, of papers, you know, looking for your patient's papers. And so, you know, when I started out, I wanted to kill the, the fax machine. I wanted to have a scene like office space, you know, yeah. but with a digital revolution where we just put that to bed. And we built secure messaging for doctors and it's it's popular. I think it was harder to do uh, you know, nine years ago than it is today um, to build secure messaging, but what really led to this um, exponential growth was being able to allow doctors to send and receive faxes from their iPhone. So if you're a physician here in Manhattan and you're cross covering three hospitals that are a couple blocks away from one another, uh, you know you don't have to run back to that other hospital to to wait for that fax you can get it on your phone you can sign it with your finger you can securely fax it back to someone else you know we we talk a lot in healthcare about interoperability standards and they're important and i'm excited for what's coming down the road with ehr interoperability but the main interoperability standard in the united states today is the fax machine and if a doctor needs to reach another institution they know that that institution will have a fax machine, whether it's a hospital, a nursing home, or a clinic, or a payer. And so that sort of backwards compatibility uh, and that significant uptake, I think, identified to us that, hey, social media can really be used for workflow purposes. Um, and it's validated by a, a strong clinician base that uses it every day. And, and I think that was the, the first real big aha eureka moment.
0: Mm-hmm. Um- in terms of the, the growth, I think one of the things in that last answer that you said that struck me was, you know, was it's like the utility. You have the iPhone, you can do access on the iPhone, you can do everything else. In a way, is that what a lot of health tech entrepreneurs kind of miss? The fact that if you're doing something for physicians, it has to be something that can fit into their natural workflow as opposed to bringing in another gadget as opposed to downloading something else. Is that what's missed or is there some, something else? well I, I,
1: I think there's probably a, a lot of hurdles and a, a lot of luck that every every company goes through is, is starting, but I, I do think you've nailed a pattern there, um, particularly when any new technology comes out you know from uh, Google Glass a few years ago mm-hmm. to you know the deep learning and, and blockchain today, there's real utility for those technologies, but oftentimes the first uh, wave of ideas that comes through, Often happens to be, hey, let's take this this sexy piece of new technology and shove it into healthcare, and that's going to increase cost. It's not necessarily going to make anything better for the doctor or the patient at the end of the day. Uh, now, I know every company has a mission statement. Ours is to make doctors more productive and successful. But if that were translated to the the hundreds of, of product designers and R and D oriented individuals at the company, and uh, listed on the wall for them as a sort of a mantra, it would be, let's help doctors save time. Where if you're using consumer social media and you're a doctor, you might go home at 9pm instead of 8pm. If you use Doximity, we want you to be able to go home at 7pm instead of 8pm. So even though it is social media, it saves doctors time. And so much of, of what we see in the industry today is asking doctors to do more and more and more with their day when they're already strained to take care of our loved ones. And we want to find ways for them to do less so
0: that they can spend more time with those patients. I think you might have partially answered my next question in that last answer, but I'll throw it at you anyway. Um, If you had to point to one decision that was the right decision that was made and one that's paid dividends over the years that um, Noximity made, what would that decision be? You know,
1: I think that the decisions that we've made around culture still probably are the most important and high impact decisions in the, the history of the company. It, it might not be the direction you're looking for with the question, but um, we have a, a cultural pillar of straight talk at the company. And that means that everyone in the company can say what's on their mind, share their ideas, not let uh, folks who have been there for more years like me intimidate them. And I'm, I'm sure I do to some extent, and I'm sure other people at the company have that that same effect on folks, and that's just a a result of growing 40% year over year. But we want to make sure that whether it's the the intern or the person from a completely different team, that their ideas hold equal value and equal weight. And then we will be humbled by the data, and we will then let the the best ideas that follow our philosophical uh, vision of putting physicians first be the ones that succeed. And sometimes those ideas come from world-renowned product managers who could be working at any big tech company. Sometimes they come from the interns. A lot of times they come from the doctors themselves. Uh, one of the, the fastest-growing products that we've ever seen at the company is a product called Doximity Dialer. It allows a physician to place a call to their patient and have the caller ID be set to be the hospital line or the clinic line. Uh, or whatever the appropriate uh, patient scheduling line is that the patient might want to call back to. This increases patient trust because now the patient might recognize that phone number and be more likely to answer it in a world of spam. It helps the doctor stay more efficient because they can make those calls on their own time without waiting in, in a queue at the nurse's station to make the call. And uh, that idea actually came from a, a clinician who we had just recently met who was, uh, works in, in Oakland, California, and is a pediatric cardiologist. And the technology only took a few weeks to build. And now in the past three months, we've had over 2.3 million phone calls placed from physicians to their patients using this, this technology. And there's been research that has shown that if a doctor can communicate more with their patient over the phone, that leads to less readmissions, and it leads to greater patient satisfaction, it certainly helps doctors save time during the day. So it, it was one of those win-win-win ideas for the patient, the doctor, the company. Uh, it was easy to build and it didn't come from me. It didn't come from our distinguished product designers. You know, it, it came from one of our, our members. And so to, to build a, a culture that can embrace that the best ideas come from anywhere, particularly those that we're trying
0: to serve I think that's been the, the single biggest win for us, decision-wise. Um, to that end, I wanted to ask about Doximity's interactions with it, the community it serves, because they've always seen there's always seemed to be an openness that I don't think you get in a lot of other places. You know, uh, t- tell me about some of the early interactions that you had with some of the first users, and what were some of the first things that you heard? What were some of the first ideas along the lines of the one you just described that made you think like, you know, what this is this is good, this is something to listen to. Well,
1: we've been
0: having physician
1: advisory boards uh, since the beginning of the company. Now, I, I know every company has a physician advisory board, but oftentimes when you look at those groups, those are groups of some of the, the world's most distinguished individuals and often those types of physicians who really have very little time or advice to actually convey at the end of the day. It, it looks good on a pitch deck. Now, granted, we've been fortunate to have some, some really uh, renowned physician physician leaders at, at our company giving us advice, but we also work with medical students, with medical residents, with physicians on the front lines. If, if I were to divvy up uh, all of the different users by a few different criteria, I would say you have different behavior patterns between axes such as old versus young, rural versus urban, specialist versus generalist, academic versus private practice versus community practice there are days when we want to get product feedback from an allergist in Alaska or a hospitalist covering three hospitals in Manhattan or a a Beverly Hills plastic surgeon. And to be able to bring all of those groups into the office or to a a dedicated two-day intensive event, uh, that's where the advisory boards really take off. It's it's when it's not just a a group of, of photos on a slide, but it's interaction with your product designers with an expectation that you're gonna say no to 90% of the ideas that were floating to them there's a a great quote from uh, the founders of of Hewlett-Packard where they say more startups die of indigestion than starvation Hmm. and we have to focus uh, but we also know that doctors aren't one-size-fits-all and so to be spending a significant amount of time with physicians on the front line Uh, on the front lines of healthcare, that's, that's where we're able to really refine these ideas and and choose what to focus on first.
0: Uh, what you say about doctors not being one size fits all. Um, I think that's one of the things, you know, people will say like, well, Doximity, you know, it's a, it's a community for physicians not realizing just how broad that is rural, you know, urban, there's so many different divides. How do you kind of bridge some of those divides? Um, what's the best way to make sure that, you know, what's working for one part of your audience is working for all parts of your audiences? Or members, I'm sorry, members is the Well,
1: I think that one thing that we do is uh, balance our our metrics. We're a goal driven company. We try to set stretch goals, and so there's the expectation on our on our product design teams that they're only going to hit two out of three of their goals. Mm-hmm. That was a big cultural change for me coming from healthcare, mm-hmm. where certainly you you don't want to only succeed for two out of three of your patients, yeah. uh, but also In in many industries around the country, there are uh, work cultures where failure is not tolerated or is looked down on, and that leads to people to take less risks, think less big. Um, So I think we have embraced failure as long as it can drive learnings Mm -hmm. while still keeping the quality bar high for healthcare, and I think by uh, having those goals set that way, then our product designers are then able to come up with uh, both products that pursue company-wide metrics, which might be, let's find ways to get more physicians engaged on the site while not sending emails or things that so many other companies are doing to drive a big chunk of their engagement. Let's look for authentic username, password, logged in on the app, having a good experience. But when you take those sorts of metrics, they don't actually always apply the same way to every single product. So for example, uh, search. A search engine, you might take a metric of how much time a user spends on it, like uh, if you're measuring a, a newsfeed activity or a video watching activity. There, more time is good. More time spent on search is not necessarily a good metric because you know there you're, you're you might not be you getting find. a good experience. Mm-hmm. And so, even though we have these high-level metrics that touch on how many, uh, how many physicians are we helping get work done during their day, um, depending on what type of doctor they are and what type of product that they're using, we want to be optimizing for actually how quickly they can get in and out in that search experience and you know, were they able to successfully uh, make a referral at the end of that search experience off of the first search result rather than waiting around for 10 different search results before they found what they needed.
0: Um, in terms of the features that in your mind have proven – I mean, you, know, you talked about the fax <laughs> interoperability and the, the idea that faxes still actually exist in our world is kind of an amazing thing when you think about it. What, what are some of the other features that early on you said, all right, I see some promise here and spun it into something that got bigger or took you into a path where something really, really popped for your members? Sure. Uh,
1: you know, one, one feature that I'll call out is just the profile itself. Mm-hmm. Resumes for doctors are extraordinarily long and complex. And a lot of Latin uh, terminology in there, too. A right? lot of Latin terminology, um, a lot of manual entry. Uh, you know, Physicians have turnover rates around 15%, plus or minus, depending on the specialty. But it's not the kind of thing when you have 100 a, a publications that you always stay on top of. And so there's a significant amount of pain and suffering that the doctor has to go through when it comes time to update yeah. That resume. And so often it, it doesn't get updated until they're looking for that new job. But now they might have missed an opportunity to advocate for their own personal growth at the next faculty promotion meeting or whatever it, it may be. So we structured our profiles to be dynamic. We try to build uh, the entire backbone of every physician's CV in advance. We connect to hundreds and thousands of databases around the country to actually know in in almost real time who is board certified in each specialty, who holds a state license where, mm-hmm. uh, who is the PI on what clinical trial, and import all of a doctor's publications and citations and downstream mentions in the consumer press. That way, we can delight the doctor and save them time by keeping their resume up to date for them, and they can focus on filling in the gaps, or connecting with uh, other people uh, who might be the right research collaborator or referral partner, uh, and that, I think, um, worked for them, not only allows, oh, one way to describe it would be a, a humble brag, because we can essentially let a, a doctor's colleagues know about the latest paper that they made without having you know them to, to talk about it themselves, but it, it also allows a level of depth because we're pulling this data in in structured ways for doctors to really be able to figure out who one of the world experts is in a particular disease or surgical procedure uh, so that they can um, write a clinical term one of many different ways and we will still surface the right CV for that referral in the moment. So that's one product. The other one that I think has, has really proven out in the engagement is our, our newsfeed. It is harder than ever to keep up with uh, the news, essentially medical knowledge, in medicine today. Um, Mary Meeker, uh, who is formerly a VC at Kleiner Perkins, um, published the State of the Internet Report every year. And and she had a a really interesting chart a year or two ago that showed if you went into PubMed and you looked at all of the the citations, the amount of medical knowledge being created every day, doubled once every 50 years back in 1950. Today, it doubles closer to every three, three and a half years. So as a physician, you could read all day, every day, and you just simply would not be able to keep up with it all, even as a speed reader. Um, That problem is compounded by the fact that only uh, a small portion of physicians are in academic clinical settings with grand rounds and and other channels to absorb the latest learning. Exactly. So you know, all of my research back when, when I was um, going through medical training was in percutaneous aortic valve replacement. So at the time, I would try to stay on top of the journal Jack Interventions and maybe Jack Imaging. But it would have been a challenge to also stay on top of the journal of radiology or the journal of pulmonology. So Doximity built the first news feed of medicine that is essentially scanning the entirety of medical knowledge created every single day figuring out what every article is about, having uh, both machine learning algorithms and teams of clinician editors help oversee this process so that each doctor sees a personalized news feed of the news that matters the most to their clinical interests and their patient population. And that, of course, could come from any number of different sources. But by being able to see that information more quickly, they are addressing a gap in knowledge from when it is published to when it is read that has been estimated by others to take as long as seventeen years, mm-hmm. for that medical knowledge to disseminate through analog methods.
0: Yeah. And the idea that you don't have to go out and do it all yourself, do all the detective work, is kind of amazing. I mean, it's it's all there exactly. Um, one of the one of the things I'd like wanted to ask you about was um Doximity's relationship with the marketing community. I mean, certainly it's a community that has a lot of interest in. Every, not just your members, but in the product itself and everything else. How difficult is it to manage some of those relationships to make sure you have the relationships you want and not the ones that might wind up kind of intruding a little bit on the larger purpose of the company? That's a great question. We learn from our marketers every
1: single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, They're they living and breathing the industry, and they're spending a lot of time figuring out what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. That said, I think we, we represent a little different... Um, of a, a channel than some of the, the more classic bulk or volume or uh, analog or spray and pray email or, or mm-hmm. whatever it may be tactics that, that exist elsewhere in the industry. So we do our best to focus on relevance and low volume and perfect fit and the, the type of content that is always labeled as sponsored to our doctors when it comes through, but still happens to be relevant and informative or delightful to them in the same way that, that non-sponsored content would be. Um, so, for example, we work with uh, 19 of the, the top 20 hospitals in the country now and their marketing departments on a number of different initiatives that include um, helping their top specialists reach out to different physicians in the community who might be the right source of referrals, but not know that a new particular therapy or procedure exists that would benefit their patient. Mm -hmm. Now, historically, marketing channels there could be limited to a billboard or the side of a bus or something like that, you know, with a a good smile, but relatively limited information. Um, Instead, if it can be a a clinician-to-clinician explanation that says, hey, I'm I'm Dr. Gross, and I specialize in X, Y, or Z therapy, and here's my outcomes data, and here's my cell phone number. You know, I, I don't know if you'll ever have a patient that fits, but give me a call if if I ever could. And and by the way, we'll mix in some social connection into that, so it'll highlight all of the Emory alumni in the San Francisco Bay Area that might have an increased reason to reach out to me. Uh, those sorts of connections help solve that problem that I think we've all experienced, either ourselves or with our loved ones, where the patient has to bounce around through three or four different doctors until they find the right one. Because it's hard as a referring provider to to keep track of the hundreds of different doctors in your your Rolodex and know who precisely is good at what and and what is new. And so by bridging these connections, leveraging I think the, the expertise of our marketing partners while still keeping the signal-to-noise ratio extremely high and extremely professional in a a doctor-to-doctor way. um, We've seen, I think, phenomenal success, and our our partners have seen, I think, referrals that really benefit
0: both them and the patients. Um, The future, what's next? Uh, You're approaching your 10th anniversary as a company. Um, Where do you want to go short-term? Where do you want to go longer-term? We are thrilled to
1: be approaching our 10th year as a, a company. It's, it's interesting that um, companies, of course, are, are staying private longer and longer and, and growing larger uh, and, and larger in, in those sorts of private environments. And that's actually worked well, I think, in an industry that has so many um, cross-incentives where we're able to just focus on our principles and continue to build. We're about 400 full-time employees today at Doximity. Mm-hmm. And approximately half of that team is focused on R&D and translating the ideas of our doctors and the other ideas that come in into reality into products that that save them time and, and help them um, just be more efficient as a physician every day uh, but we've also realized that our data can reveal a, a wealth of insights mm-hmm. back to our doctors and back to our, our medical community um, so for instance Uh, we run a very, very large job network for doctors, helping physicians be able to find the right position in the country for a job that might match their needs or their income and compensation requirements and their social graph, whatever they happen to be looking for. We give that data back to our members, even when they're not looking for a a job and be able to say, hey, given this this sample of data that we've aggregated and what you're giving back to us every day, we can now show you an interactive map of exactly what your earning potential is Mm -hmm. All right.
0: Nate, thank you so much for being here today. Really appreciate it. That was Nate Gross, the co-founder of Doximity, and this is Larry Dobrow for the M MM&M Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week. Take care.